0: Whether you're joining us online or in person, glad to worship with you. Today, we start a new sermon series called Christmas Comforts. And I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and he said, I'm just done with 2020. I've just had enough of 2020, right? And raise your hand if you feel a little bit like that, right? And so some of you, the way that you've coped is you started with the Christmas music early, right? And you're going all out on the Christmas decorations at home. But let's just be honest, Um, in this series, we're we're admitting that the nostalgia and some of the traditions around the holiday season that normally comfort us and bring us great joy, they're stripped down, aren't they? And they're not there. For example, I go to this wonderful Christmas party um, called Yule Fest every year. Uh, Somebody in our church here puts that on and and they put a lot of planning and time and there is no social distancing at that party and that Yule Fest party, it's just not happening this year. And that's hard and we can admit that. But it's also an opportunity in this Advent season to really lean in to the purpose of Christmas and the real tangible hope and joy that can be found not in circumstances, not in Christmas cookies, although I love Christmas cookies, but in the character of the Savior himself, in the assurance that we have a rescuer, that he's come for you, that he loves you, he likes you, and that all will be well in the end. And so that's what we're doing. Uh, This message will be on the Savior's ability to empathize with us, to sympathize with our painful feeling of vulnerability. Because have you noticed the human experience is wrought with this painful experience at different levels to different degrees of vulnerability. Next week, uh, Pastor Brian Martin, former family ministry pastor, uh, that worked with me on staff at Faith Covenant, a church I used to uh, pastor at. He's in Rochester at a uh, church down there. He'll be guest preaching. I'll be here for that, and I can't wait to, to hear Brian. He's just a gifted communicator. And then the week after that, Pastor Chad will be talking about the assurance, the, the Christian's ability to take hope in the assurance that we do have a Savior, that he is coming for us. So if you have your Bible or if you want to access that on your smartphone... We will start in Hebrews. Hebrews is written to a primarily Jewish audience, and we are starting at verse 4, chapter 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. uh, writing to a primarily Jewish audience, Jews who have embraced Jesus as Messiah, they would have been very familiar with the sacrificial system and the role of a priest in a temple. A priest is to intercede and make atonement for the sin of the people. And once a year, the priest actually went into the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary where God's presence symbolically and really dwelled. And they actually would tie a rope around the waist of the priest. Uh, there was such a reverence and a respect for the wildness, the the strength, the goodness, but also the the mysterious power of God that it's like, we're not going to take any chances. It reminds me, I, I got to do a winter survival school in the military in Norway, and they had to tie a rope around you, and they made you jump in a lake that they cut a big uh, hole in the ice Uh, with a chainsaw, with all your gear on, and you had to get out, but the rope was there just in case the current took you. They didn't want to lose anybody. I mean, that's crazy, and I remember that really well. I can't imagine tying a rope around my waist to go into the presence of God for fear the current might take me away, but that's what happened. And those same Jewish listeners are now grappling with this letter written called Hebrews, and, and the writer is saying nothing less than you have a high priest who totally gets what you're going through. This high priest tied the rope around his waist and left heaven to come into the combat zone of our earthly sin-broken reality. And he is now able to sympathize with all the temptations and all the troubles and the trials. And that basis should make you confident to stand before the throne of God knowing that God is, will provide for you, will help you to resist temptation, and will help you to resist, frankly, despair that could set in in a year like 2020. Perhaps the incredible example of how he is able to sympathize with us comes from these familiar words. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Jesus is born in a stable. I know we're kind of city around here, probably not a lot of experience with barn animals. Have you ever been in a barn? not smell the smells not so great I mean have you ever seen a feeding trough you just don't put an infant in that think about that it's so easy because it's familiar to just let it kind of slide past us the creator of the universe voluntarily allowed himself to be born as a vulnerable little infant and not just an infant born in in a palace or in a privileged part of history but in A teenage, engaged couples, poverty-stricken reality. They're homeless. They're on the road. There's no guest room. They're in a barn. That's where God chose to lay himself. Why? Why? We'll get to that. If you're taking notes, the three headings that I think can uh, animate our time here really come from this word in the letter of Hebrews called weakness. He can identify with, sympathize with our weakness. And and every word has a lexical range of possible meanings. And this word is fascinating in the original Greek. It can mean uh, at least three things here. It does mean three things. Uh, Weakness as temptation could be defined as that. Weakness as accusation and weakness as limitation. Let's talk about those in turn. First, weakness as temptation. Clearly, the text in Hebrew says he was tempted but did not sin, so, so this word weakness does refer in part to temptation. Now, this is the part where I think it's helpful for us to just do a little inventory of the different temptations we face in life. And then consider that Jesus knows what that pull feels like. Maybe you're struggling with sexual temptation. Jesus knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to resist that, to say no. Maybe for you it's courage. You don't like conflict. You're afraid of people thinking less of you. And so you find those moments in life where you have to stand out from the crowd or do something that could put your reputation at risk or your physical safety at risk. Very difficult. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to not do the courageous thing, and he knows what it's like to resist. Maybe for you, it's just kind of trashing your body. You're tempted to just eat and eat and eat and drink and smoke and do, do whatever feels good, even if it has really a bad consequence on your physical body. How crazy is it that the king of the universe knows what that pull feels like? And he says, it's okay, I'm with you in this temptation. In the 40 days before Jesus started his public ministry, he is in the wilderness and he's experiencing this barrage from the enemy of temptations and accusations. Temptations and accusations. If you're really the son of God, why don't you do this? And he passes. C.S. Lewis, uh, probably my favorite Christian writer, has this to say. God could, had he pleased, have been incarnate in a man of iron nerves, the stoic sort who lets no sigh escape him. Of his great humility, he chose to be incarnate in a man of delicate sensibilities who wept at the grave of Lazarus and sweated blood in Gethsemane. Otherwise, we should have missed the great lesson that it is by his will alone that a man or woman is good or bad, And that feelings are not in themselves of ultimate importance. We should also have missed the all-important help of knowing that he has faced all the weakest of us, all that the weakest of us face, has shared not only in the strength of our nature, but every weakness of it except sin. If he had been incarnate in a man of immense natural courage, that would have been for many of us almost the same as his not being incarnate at all. Think about what Lewis is saying there. He's saying God became a human being and he didn't show up in just this like incredible frame. You read the Gospels and you don't get a picture of someone who just glides through life with total ease. He feels the full range of emotions he struggles and he strives to do the right thing just like you. Except he lives the life that we have not lived. See, the, the, the sad truth, and we feel this in our soul, is that each and every one of us, to different degrees, have given into temptation, haven't we? We've fought it and we believe that little lie that I just can't keep fighting any longer, so I'm just going to give in. We've kind of taken the bait. We've, we've believed the lie that the sin will deliver, even though it doesn't in the long run, and we know that, and if we would know that if we stopped and thought about it. But he didn't give in, but he knows the pull. This is a profound comfort to any one of us who is struggling with any kind of temptation. And every one of us will struggle with Temptation. So we have this weakness as temptation, but then weakness as accusation. There's a a very old book several hundred years ago. A Puritan minister named Thomas Brooks wrote a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. It's a mouthful. Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. He was a pastor. He was was a really uh, thoughtful care pastor of sorts. And that showed up in his preaching and his writing. And he was just a student of human behavior and he, and he subdivided the book into two categories. One was temptation and one was accusation. And he said, this is kind of how Satan works. This is, there is a supernatural demonic force at work in the world that would love to see you implode and destroy your life and, and disobey God and all of that. And the way he kind of uses his tactical strategy is one of two ways either a temptation, come on, you know you want to, just give in, even though it's wrong, you know you want to, do it, or accusation. If he can't get you with the temptation, guess what? You are not the mother that you should have been, and it's all your fault. You're ugly, and you know it. You are just not smarter than anybody else. You're not smart enough. And they're going to find out. These ugly, demonic accusations whisper and sometimes in our most traumatic moments shout at us. And if we're not careful, we can come to believe them. One of my uh, cherished memories as a pastor is when I was a 28-year-old pastor and I, I was called... To do a, a house visit for a 94-year-old woman, dear woman who is really respected in our congregation. And you know, when you're 28, you're meeting with someone who's 94. She's sharp as a tack, very respected, just kind of a saintly woman. I kind of thought I would be going there to get an instruction in, on something, or I don't know, I didn't know what she wanted. And and when I got there and I sat down in her living room the tears just flew and flowed and flowed and she just went on and on about all the accusations, the lies that she had come to believe, all the regret. She had struggled with sexual sin in her uh, adult life and had these just profound levels of shame. You know the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is appropriately feeling by the Holy Spirit's conviction, this is wrong and I need to stop this. Shame is when the enemy says, because you've done that wrong thing, you're wrong and you're evil and you're bad. And that's a lie from the pit of hell, but a lot of people believe it. And she had believed this. And so she's dealing with these just toxic levels of shame. And here, you know, the the weird thing, when you're young enough in a profession, you don't know what you're doing. One of the silver linings of that is you're a good listener because you have no idea what to say. So in some ways I think I was a better pastoral counselor when I was young cuz I just had no idea what to tell people and so the, I would just say, "Well, say more about that." <laughs> and then how did that make you feel? And then so okay, what what happened next, you know? And they they in you know, in our culture, nobody listens really well, and so people would just keep going and going and she kept going and I didn't know what to say and I was, you know, not that long Uh, away from seminaries so you know seminarians they just hand you like books to solve problems so so I went back to the church and I printed off this just huge PDF you know books that are a few hundred years old are free on the internet and you can just print them off And, and it was Satan's Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices by Thomas Brooks and it's hard to read it's Puritan Old English and she read every page of that and she called me a few weeks later and she said my life is so different i i was believing these lies these accusations that i was i was evil i was no good because i have this sin this past sin in my life that i was a failure as a mother and a, as a wife and and now i see what the enemy was trying to sow in my life and she said and i really feel i've been praying i want to be baptized She said, I was as an as a infant, but I, I really want to make that decision myself. And and I know you're doing a service coming up, but, but I'm embarrassed to say I can't, I can't get in the tank. I can't climb. And so one of the sweetest memories I have as a pastor is this woman asking me to carry her into the waters of baptism at 94, I think she was 95 by that time, years old. And I just, just carried her in the waters, and she came out, and the look on her face, the freedom. And, and as a pastor... I want that for you. I don't want to carry you, but but, some of you, I'd struggle with that, but no, just kidding. Hey, i put on a little pandemic, weight. it happens. Um, No, I, I want that feeling of, oh my gosh, I see it now. It's the accusations from the enemy. That's not true. I don't need to live under that. And when that dawns on a person, whether they're nine or 95, there's a, there's a sweetness and a freedom because human beings throughout history who have, who have woken up to the reality that Jesus loves them and they're forgiven and they're free and they don't have to be defined by the accusations of the enemy, those human beings have, have tapped into something, the secret of non-circumstantial joy. Even if the Christmas cookies are burned, even if the lights on the house don't work even if Yule Fest is canceled. My friends, I um, would ask you to pray for my friend, Pastor Tom Bennett. We write messages together. He pastors a church in Orange County, California. And he is struggling. Uh, There was a suicide in their congregation, 14-year-old girl. Came right after the announcement by the governor of increased lockdown measures and he has the difficult decision to make to hold services and youth group or to cancel them knowing that there's just so much despair and knowing that the governor of the state said you have to close down all of church services it's an unenviable position and I, I was praying for him yesterday and thinking about just the challenges and we were talking on the phone and and it's always a little strange when two pastors are trying to minister to each other um you feel kind of sheepish trying to like exhort each other or encourage each other because it's like we know this stuff, you know? But that doesn't mean we do it. (laughs) And so it was this conversation where I just had to say, Tom, it's possible to have non-circumstantial joy because he gets it. Because he's become vulnerable. And the vulnerable state that he feels, Tom, and that I feel, and that you feel, and we all feel, the God of the universe became. Last meaning of this word, weakness, could be translated limitation, and this is important. Don't miss this one. How many of you watch The Mandalorian? It's an awesome show that you should watch. It's great. If you like Star, Star Wars, my boys and I love it. Um, I was I was thinking about it recently because the highlight of this sh- this uh, spinoff show from Star Wars is Baby Yoda. They call him. Chad, could I could I have our little prop here? Thank you. Take
1: care.
0: Thank you. This Baby Yoda, he's super cute, and um, he's learning how to use the Force. And my my kids kind of fight over this little doll I got for them. We can get the real Yoda up here. I think what's interesting is the show is interesting because you have that's what the real Yoda is. He's the best Jedi, he's master Yoda. I mean, we have jokes in our culture, It'd be like, that guy's like the Yoda of Christianity because he's so smart, or the Yoda of science, or you know, he's he's Supreme. Nobody can beat him. He's the smartest. And, and what's interesting is to see his race or his species in miniature and as a baby cooing and trying to figure stuff out. And I was watching this show with my kids, and I was looking, and they, they you know, hold baby over. When we watched the show. And I was thinking to myself, that's kind of what it's like. The God of the universe who needs nothing, who doesn't need advice, who doesn't need protection, who, who needs nothing, became a baby. It'd be like if Big Yoda voluntarily, out of some crazy, mysterious motivation, became a baby. Now think about that for a second. Just some of the most simple things in Christianity are what we tend to glide over, but those are the things that change our hearts and our minds. And, and this is simple, but it's mind-blowing if you think about it. Would you, out of love, the person sitting next to you volunteer to become a toddler again and learn how to go to the bathroom and write and read and talk and think? I mean, talk about vulnerable. Kids are the most vulnerable creatures on the planet. And, out of love for somebody sitting next to you, would you give up all your sovereignty and autonomy and become a child a baby who who is basically being taken care of by homeless teenagers in the ancient near east oh by the way there's a genocidal maniac running the show in the government and your whole life will be one long march of suffering he did We're in this season where limitations are very familiar to us. We're constantly limiting our exposure, limiting our contact. We can't do certain things that we want to do. And that's just 2020. That's just an overlay over the normal limitations. Remember when you were a kid and you started to realize that I'm not as good in this sport as he is? and I wish I was. I'm not as pretty as she is, and I wish I was. I'm not as tall as that kid, and I wish I was, or I wish I wasn't so tall, or I wish math came easier, or writing came easier, or I wish I could draw like they could draw, and you start to become aware of all your limitations. Because we all have them. And there's a grieving that comes when you start to realize, I just can't do that. I wish I could, but I can't. I can't be that. I'll never do that. I'll never be that. I'll never experience what they do, and I wish I could, but I can't. I've got this health thing. I've got that. And sometimes they're excuses, but sometimes they're real limitations. We all have them. My kids, bless their heart, are probably not going to be pro athletes. All three of them are, like, in the 15th percentile of height and weight. And, you know... They can really try hard, but they're probably never going to be like a nose tackle for the Vikings, even if they really want to. And we tell our kids, like, you can do anything. No, you can't. (laughs) No, you can't. Your life is riddled with limitations. So in a real sense, you're actually quite limited in what you can do. And, And God says, I know what that feels like. I willingly subjected myself to every temptation that you will experience. My friends, what is the motivation to subject oneself to that level of vulnerability? Why would somebody who needs nothing is perfectly happy like the God of the universe, say, you know what? I'm going to take a spin by colliding into human history. I'm not going to come as a conquering king. I'm not going to come as somebody particularly good looking or perfectly smart or super brave. I'm going to come as an average person born into abject poverty. I'm going to come as a baby. I'm going to do the whole growing up thing in a real brutal age, in a real brutal time. I'm going to live a painful short life riddled with accusations and temptations. Every one of which I will resist, by the way. And then I'm going to experience every human limitation. Why? Why do that? One of the more common conditions I have seen in my own heart, but also in the heart of people I've pastored in this region of the United States. I pastored in California. That's a little different flavor in in this region. Probably the Scandinavian background is to blame. The Stoic kind of. We don't quite know. We're not. Do we hug? Do we? Okay. You know. There's this general disease of the soul where where it's like we know God that you you love us. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. But we're not so certain that you like us. I'm seeing some head nodding. You ever been there? You just felt like, I know you love me, but you have to. You're God. It's like your job description. But you know what I've done and you know what I've left undone and therefore, you you probably don't like me. Nonsense. That doesn't measure up, friends. Why would someone allow themselves willingly to be hit by the tidal wave that is Vulnerability in every form, to become a human baby, to grow up in poverty, to be misunderstood, to be betrayed, to, to be cold, to be hungry, to wonder how things will work out. Why would he do that? He does that because he loves you. He really loves you and he really likes you with all your limitations, with all the times that you have given in to temptation and not resisted, with all the accusations that you've allowed yourself to believe and that's caused all sorts of conditions and malformed things. He loves you despite all of that. Do you remember those those heady moments when you're probably in junior high or high school and you like someone and, and for the first time you get the dawning inkling that they like you? <laughs> It's like, wow, they they like me. And it just, it feels like it scratches an itch you never knew how to scratch. It's like we, 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 as human beings, want to be liked and loved. But then as you grow, you experience this romantic love and all this stuff, you realize that the limitations are there too. Even the best relationship never fully satisfies, in part because no one knows you like, you know you even if you're totally honest with them they don't know they haven't lived every moment of your experience and what your soul really longs for at the end of the day and what my soul longs for is to be seen to the very bottom to be known so fully and completely and then liked and then loved and that's how God loves us He sees every time you've blown it every embarrassing thing you've done every regrettable word that's come out of your mouth or thought that's come out of your psyche. And it's not like he looks at all that and calls it all good. No, it's called sin and he died for it. But he looks at you and says, I see past all that and I love you with the ferocity that is willing to become a baby and be laid down in a feeding trough. Nobody will ever love you like that. Your husband can't. Your wife can't. Your children can't. Your parents can't. But he can. And he does. We're going to take communion in a moment. As we prepare our hearts for that, I would ask you to just pray with me briefly. God, thank you that you love us, that you forgive us, Thank you that you are the sympathetic savior of this broken world that you identify with. The the painful experience of being tempted and of being accused by demonic lies and of experiencing great limitations of every kind. Remind us in this season of lockdown and limitation that your love is enough to bring us non-circumstantial joy and courage and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.